You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. I was there, Romans chapter 10. Now I want to pick up where we left off last week or kind of I want to build on where we were last week. Last week we were talking, um, we were looking at James chapter 2. And if you remember in James chapter 2, we were kind of comparing some things that the church is kind of, um, I believe, let me say it like this. We were comparing some things that the church has misunderstood for a while, and we're comparing some things that I believe make the difference between a baby in Christ and a mature believer in Christ. For example, when you are a baby in Christ, you ask for everything. You ask for everything. Um, anytime, anytime you want something, you all, you're asking for it. You always ask. And there's nothing wrong with asking. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying don't ask. Jesus said, when you ask, believe that you receive and you will receive it. So there's nothing wrong with asking. But there comes a point where you begin to know God's heart, where you start knowing that God wants this for me. And I don't have to ask for it. Instead of asking, I can declare it. And God puts a priority on people who stop asking and they start declaring. Now, the, 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 the trick is knowing what to declare and what to ask for. And a little bit of last week, that's what we touched on, knowing the difference. For example, let me ask you this. Is it God's will that you should be healed? Thank you for that thunderous yes. Is it God's will for all of us to be healed? Yes. Yes. Now, how do we know that? Because the Bible says, by the stripes of Jesus, God's own son, we were healed. healed. So if God paid for me to be healed, then it is God's will for me to be healed. healed. Is it God's will for you to have wealth? Yes. Yes. Now, how do we know that? Because the Bible says in Corinthians, though he was rich, Christ, he became poor with my poverty, that me through his poverty might become rich with his riches. So is it God's will for us to be wealthy? Yes. yes. So is it proper? Let me say like this. Is it correct to ask God for something, not knowing that he wants to give it to us when he's already paid for us to have it? No, not at all. Now let's take it one step further. If he's already given it to you, it still, it, it seems even dumber or more stupid. That was horrible English. That's not the point. We're not here to judge my English. (laughs) It is even more incorrect to ask God for something that he's already given us. Like we said last week, if I give you this Bible, and this Bible is worth a million dollars, right? If I give you the Bible, and the next day you call me and ask me, can you have the Bible? I'm going to pause for a moment and ask you, what did you do with it? (laughs) Because it's already yours. Likewise, when it comes to healing, prosperity, favor, protection, whatever God has for us, there's some things we don't have to ask for anymore. And the difference between a child and a mature believer in Christ is someone who says, I don't have to ask for these things because I already know it's God's heart. Now, I'm going to show you in just a moment in the Old Testament, uh, again, how God puts priority on people who stop asking and they start declaring. And my hope is that by the end of today that you impress God with your faith. And everyone said, Amen. amen. So last week we started in James. This week I want to pick up in Romans chapter 10. Now, we were here last week, but again, I want to start off with uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Now, I didn't want to have so many verses. If we had the screen, it would have felt more, uh, it wouldn't have felt like it was as much. But not having the screen, I want you to see everything in context. I hate when preachers take verses out of context. So are you ready? Romans 10, verse 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Now, Israel is the Jewish people, okay? Verse 2, for I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. 
For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now pause for a moment. When you see the word righteousness, I want you to go ahead and put whatever you need from God right there. Let's say, for example, you need healing. All right. They being ignorant of God's healing have not submitted to God's healing that God would have freely given them as a gift. In fact, let me let me quote it the way he says it right here. Where are we at? Verse three. For they being ignorant of God's healing and seeking to establish their own health or healing have not submitted to the healing of God. <laughs> I love it. If righteousness is a free gift and everything we need comes on the on the hymn of righteousness, what does that tell us? Whatever we need, God has already freely given it to us. But the moment we try to earn it, all of a sudden we have not submitted to the fact that God has given it to us as a free gift. Now, let's keep going because I love when Paul, whenever Paul gives a treasure, he always explains it in more detail. Are you ready? Look at verse 4. For Christ is the end of the what? One more time. Christ is the end of the? For? To everyone who believes. Now watch this. What is the law? The law is my efforts. The law is the best that I can produce. The law is everything that Matthew Edwards is doing to get whatever God has for Matthew Edwards. Jesus is the end of Matthew Edwards for healing. Jesus is the end of Matthew Edwards for wholeness. Jesus is the end of everything I could do to get what I need. Jesus is the end of it. <laughs> I love it. Now, when you tell somebody this, uh, who, who, who would fight for the law, <laughs> the conversation usually goes in a, in a negative direction. God gave us the Ten Commandments. What are you talking about? God gave the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And I've been there. We've had that conversation as a church before. We won't go there. But let me say this. Jesus didn't destroy it. He came to fulfill it. And once he fulfilled God's law, he said, now, look, I am the end of it. I'm the end. Whatever you need from God, stop trying to earn it. Whatever you need from God, stop trying to deserve it. Thank you for that thunderous amen. I love all of you so much. You are with me. Thank you, Pastor. You're doing a great job. Now, Jesus is the end of it. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Christ is the end of the law. He's the end of you. Trying to earn what God has for you. So if he's the end of me for what God has for me, then there's nothing else for me to do. Right? Right? Then whatever we need from God, there's nothing else for us to do. Because Christ is the end of it. Let's keep going. He says in verse 5, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. When you're under the law, you're always trying to do more. You're always trying to do something. You're always working. You're always trying to impress God. You're always trying to do things so that God will respond and God will give to you. So the righteousness of the law is one who does. You know how you know that you're under the law? When you're looking at yourself. What have I done? What have I not done? What have I done right? What have I done wrong? When you look at yourself, guess what? You are under the law. All right. But then look at this. Verse six. But the righteousness of faith speaks. Law does. Faith does what? Speaks. How do you know you're not under the law? Because you're not looking at yourself. Now you are speaking. Thank you for that. Thunderous. Amen. I love you so much. You are not under the law. You are under grace. And when you know that you are not under the law, you stop looking at yourself and you start speaking. The righteousness of faith speaks. Now, for what they were dealing with here, this church, many of them were saying, how do we get someone from heaven to come down and heal us? Or should we find someone who's died and bring them back up from the grave? And so Paul is dealing with that 
horrible issue to the church in Rome. And to the church in Rome, to the believers, he says this, the righteousness of faith speaks. Now, what does the righteousness of faith say? Look at verse 6. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? What does the righteousness of faith say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now watch this. The word is near you in your where? Mouth and in your? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now we preach this when people receive Christ for the first time. But did you know that the word save here in the Greek is the word sozo? Literally, the word sozo is healing, prosperity, favor, wealth, protection, everything we need from God. So watch this. With your mouth, you declare Jesus, you are Lord. And that confession produces healing. That confession produces favor. Are you with me? Now, let's keep going. Again, I'm coming to verse 10, but I wanted you to see everything leading up. Everything in context. Now, he says this in verse 9. He says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, again, with the heart you believe, but with the mouth you are saved. It's not enough to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You can believe in your heart all day, but it will never save you when you step over into eternity. If you believe in your heart, but never say it from your mouth, it will never help you. So we have to believe it in our heart and we have to say it. Now, like we said last week, kings don't work. The way a king works is by speaking. What a king wants, he says. And what he says happens. Likewise, by the blood of Christ, all of us are kings and priests. You don't work by doing, you work by speaking. When you don't like what you see, you speak. Now, what's the problem here? For years, we were taught by the Word of Faith movement, all you have to do is name it, claim it, say it, and you'll see it. Uh, I don't remember all the cool lingo they had back then. We don't have those anymore. <laughs> but what happened to the whole generation of people that came out of the Word of Faith movement that were saying, well, I'm speaking, I'm speaking, but nothing's changing. You want to know what the difference is? For with the heart you believe unto what? In your heart. When you believe that you are right with God, not because of what you've done, good or bad, but in your heart, when you believe Jesus has made me right both now and forevermore with the heart, you believe you are right with God, even when you don't act like it, when your heart in that moment, when your heart believes, hey, I really am the righteousness of God in Christ. I really am right with God in that moment. The very next word you say, be careful what you say, because in that moment, your confession is made to Whatever you need. <laughs> That's why we say all the time, say from your heart, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So can we, can we do it this morning? Can you say, say this? I am, I am the, righteousness the righteousness of God, of God. In, Christ. in Christ. Now, the more we say it, we set ourselves up for that moment. That one moment when you're at home, when you're in your car, when you're at work, when, you're, when, when your eyes are filled with tears because something crazy happened. In that moment, in that moment right there, when you say out loud from your heart, I am the righteousness of God, and your heart believes it, your heart is convinced you are the righteousness of God in Christ. In that moment, the very next thing you say, your confession is made to whatever you need to see. That's why... We are a church that keeps saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Because listen, all you need to do is when your heart crosses that line, then the next thing you say happens. And everyone said, amen. amen. 
Now let's keep going. Faith without works is dead. It's not enough to believe it. You have to speak it. Can you turn with me to James chapter 5? In fact, no, no, no. Do this. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. I apologize. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, we're going to look at verse 1 and verse 2. We're going to skip down to verse 7 after that. I'm not going to read all the way through this. Again, if we had the screen, it would make life a little easier. But How are you this morning? Are you? Good. Good. It's good to see your beautiful faces. I do want to point out my cousin is here this morning. John Robert Turner. He is here. I point out my aunt and my cousin, but they were here a couple weeks ago. I already embarrassed them. So my cousin's here this morning. He's a kisser, so feel free to kiss him on both sides of the cheek. He also loves high fives, really high. So if you just hold your hand up real high, he'll do it. Anyways. (laughs) Matthew chapter 15, are you with me? Matthew chapter 15, look at verse 1. Now Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying this, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, we're going to skip down to verse 7, but let me explain what happened. Jesus and his disciples are sitting down, they're eating, and the disciples walk into the room, and they don't wash their hands. Now, tradition says, not from God, but tradition of men, the tradition that they came up with. After God gave all 400 plus commandments, after God gave all 400 laws, they said, let's improve on what God didn't say. God said, hey, you must be clean, not defiled. So you know what we'll do? We'll improve. We'll say every time you eat, you must wash your hands. Now, that should partly be common sense. If your hands are dirty, wash your hands, right? (laughs) That should be common sense. But they went to say, let's take it as far as to say that it's a law. And if you don't wash your hands, you are therefore defiled. And once you're defiled, guess what you have to do? You have to bring a sacrifice to the temple and you have to offer. Now, listen, the ones who made up the law were the temple keepers. They were the ones who were in charge of it. And guess what? If you didn't have a sacrifice to offer to cleanse yourself, guess what you can do? Now you can come to the synagogue. You can buy a sacrifice from us. And once you've bought it from us, we will take care of the rest for you. You'll be clean. Are you with me? What a way to make money. So they found a way to say, hey, look, when you sin, when you make a mistake, if you're unclean, just come to us, pay us a little money. We'll take care of the rest. So they see Jesus come and Jesus is like, I'm fed up with this. I'm done with this. So anyways, Jesus is, uh, they're in a house and they're eating and his disciples come in. They're all hungry. They sit down, they start eating, didn't wash their hands. The Pharisees and scribes find out. So they leave their high place and they come down to where Jesus is. And when they walk in the room, they say, Jesus, your disciples have transgressed the law of our fathers. They haven't washed their hands. Now, Jesus comes back at them with a nice parable. We're not going to read that parable. But when you pick up in verse 7, he begins to quote from the prophet Isaiah. Now, in verse 7, he says this, hypocrites. (laughs) Opening statement, hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching, I'm sorry, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. Now watch this. He just challenged the Pharisees and called them all hypocrites and said, Isaiah was prophesying about you when he said this. 
Now, that's disrespectful enough. But then he says to all the people who are around him, the multitudes of people, verse 11, he says, hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. He goes on to explain because Peter says um, uh, later on, he says, Lord, can you help us understand what you, what you meant? Jesus says, what did you not understand, Peter? When you eat something, it hits your stomach and it's gone. So what you eat does not defile you. Now, keep in mind, they thought, well, if we eat pork, if we eat uh, uh, bottom feeders, if we eat certain things, all these things defile us. And God said these things are unclean. But Jesus is coming to say, look, I'm going to go above and beyond the law. It's not what goes in your mouth that makes you unclean. Listen, listen, it's what comes out that defiles you. Now, listen, he doesn't use the word unclean, so to speak. He uses the word defile. Are you with me? Defile. Now, defile is an interesting word because you know that every time a sick person came to Jesus, they were actually defiled. Did you know that when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, when he finished preaching, the Bible says he went down the mountain and a leper came to him. Right. The leper, if he touches Jesus or if they make contact, the clean person is supposed to be defiled. But Jesus being the clean person, the leper says, if you want to heal me, you can, I'm sorry, if you want to cleanse me, you can cleanse me. Jesus says, I want to. He grabs the leper and says, be cleansed. Now listen, Jesus should be defiled. But when you are under grace, when you are under grace, you can no longer be defiled. Now listen, why am I telling you about the leper, Jesus? Because sickness in God's eyes is defilement. As long as you are sick, you are defiled. But God says, Jesus is telling us, change the defilement. Change it. You see, the world says it's what you put in you that changes you. It's what you eat. It's what you drink. It's what you do that makes you sick. Jesus is saying it's not what you put in you. It's what comes out of you. If you can speak truth, you can change it. You see, the opposite of every truth is also true. If I say today is day, guess what? It's not nighttime. Are you with me? What's the opposite of day? So if I say it's daylight, the opposite of it's daylight is it's not nighttime. Are you with me? The opposite is always true. If what goes in you, I'm sorry, if what comes out of you defiles you, also what comes out of you can cleanse you. Are you with me? <laughs> no, I hope I didn't lose anyone there. What comes out can defile. What comes out can also cleanse you. Therefore, use your words. Speak, speak, because it's not what goes in you that changes you. It's what you let come out of your mouth. It puts an importance on what you say. It puts an importance on what you say. Part of the word of faith movement for me was, you know, never say anything bad. When I was a kid, when I was in school, I knew not to say bad things. I knew not to say negative things over myself. Uh, I heard this thousands of times. God knows how many times. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So we know not to say negative things. We don't say things like, oh, man, this is killing me. We, we don't say stuff like that, right? Uh, better yet, and, and take it one step further, we don't say things like, I bet this is going to happen, or I bet the worst case scenario will happen to me. We know not to say things like that, right? But no one ever put the other part in that said, in your heart, if you believe you're right with God, you can change it. I knew not to say the wrong things. And the adults, because I was a kid around that time, the adults knew to say the good things, good things over yourself. That's why when I ask, I say, hey, good morning, how are you doing? Most of you say, I am blessed, right? And if some of us were being honest, my life doesn't feel blessed. I'm not in a blessed place right now. But we know not to say, I'm, oh, life is hell right now. We know not to say that, right? Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. But at what point did we lose? Can we just be honest? Can we just be honest? Hey, look, life is horrible right now. <laughs> Can I be honest with you this morning? 
My wife is looking at me, so I'm going to not look at her for a moment. (laughs) I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but God is faithful. God is faithful. And I'm not saying that like hoping he will be. God is faithful. We had two cars. One car was on its last leg. And so we went into emergency mode. Get the cars fixed. The day after one of the cars was addressed, we knew we couldn't get it completely fixed. All of a sudden, that car goes down. I'm at work. Christina's driving. She calls me. The car went down Friday. So, okay, don't worry. So, switch cars. So, she gets her car to me. I take that car to the mechanic shop. Good. We have one car. All of a sudden, she calls me again. That car went down, too. (laughs) Great. We have no cars. (laughs) So, we figure out what to do, how to address and, and how to maneuver and how to adjust. But in the middle of it, you have two options. You can panic and freak out. Doesn't matter what your response is, our Heavenly Father will always catch us. Whether you drown in the water, whether you start drowning or not, whether you walk on the water or whether you drown, He'll still catch you. You'll never sink. But you have two options. You can panic and make yourself have a moment, or you can just say, He'll take care of it. So I got myself together and said, I'm going to do the latter. I'm going to, He's going to take, He will take care of it. It'll be fine. All right? It will be okay. So this morning you say, Pastor, how are you doing? I say, I am. But if I'm honest, <laughs> Life isn't wonderful. It's not rainbows and unicorns this morning. But you know what? It's okay. Because I won't be here forever. Thank you for that thunder statement. So God is good. Now listen, how do we change the situation? Oh man, that car's going to break down as soon as it comes out the mechanic shop. I know it. I know it's going to break down as soon as it comes out. Every time it's going to keep... No, you don't say the wrong thing. You say the right things. But again, what we were missing before was believing in our heart that God had made us right. Knowing now that God has made me right, I can speak something. It's like we saw in, uh, where was it? We saw in Job, you will declare a thing and it will be done for you. Not by you. It will be done for you. You have only but to speak. And everyone said, let's try it for a moment before we move on. Say this. I am healthy. I am wealthy. I am favored. I am prosperous. I am successful. Because of Jesus Jesus. and what Jesus has done. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. 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 Now look at this. Can we turn with me to James chapter 5? James chapter 5. We're going to pick up in verse 16. James chapter 5. Now I got two more places I want to go, but don't worry, I'll keep it short. I'm really excited because you know what we're going to be looking at this morning? The book of Revelation. Ha <laughs> I'm excited. Every time I get a chance to go to that book, to me it's going to be a good Sunday. It might not be for you, but whenever we get to go to Revelation, it's a good Sunday. And for that, I will pray for you more <laughs> this week. The Lord bless Joshua and prosper, make him wealthy. Enlarge in his tents, Father. And cause him to be a tither. Anyways, anyways, James chapter 5. <laughs> I'm joking. James chapter 5, are you ready? James chapter 5, verse 16. Now, James goes on to talk about what happens in a church when someone sins. If you'll bring that person in. When someone makes a fault, pray for that person. When someone is sick. Then he comes to verse 16. He says, confess your trespasses or sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. One more time. The effective, fervent Prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now let me explain something. Notice what he did not say. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
Now I know, don't get me wrong, please, let's, let's not take any word that God put there on purpose out. He said the effective what prayer? Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, if you had asked me, I would have said years ago, what is a fervent prayer? It's when you're on your knees crying before God, rolling on the floor, and God sees your heart through your words. It's how loud you are. It's how soft you are. It's the tears. How many tears roll? How long you're in God's presence? You got to be fervent, brother. You got to be fervent, sister. You got to bow before God Almighty, and that's the prayer that God answers. I would have said that years ago. But thank God, every time he gives you something, he says, hey, look, let me explain it. <laughs> every treasure has a roadmap right beside it. Are you ready? Now, what is this? I want all my prayers to avail much. So are you ready for the secret for how to have effective prayers when you pray? Are you ready? Look at this in verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, notice he's going to go back for a moment. You want to know how to have an effective, fervent prayer that always avails? Let me tell you about Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now watch this. Elijah was no one different. He was no one special. We know Elijah called fire down from heaven. We know what Elijah did. And in the book of Revelation, Elijah is mentioned again. And as great as Elijah was, let me say this. He was no different from you. The same things that we struggle with, Elijah struggled with as well. He wasn't special. He wasn't an angel sent from heaven. Elijah was a man with a nature just like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Right there, Matthew, see? Earnest prayers bring results. Hold on a moment. He prayed earnestly that it would rain or that it would not rain? That it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Verse 18. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced fruit. Now let me ask you. In verse 17 he said it says he prayed earnestly that it would not. Then it says he prayed that it would. Which one is greater? Earnest prayers or just regular prayers? Sorry? No, no, no. Which one is greater? Earnest prayers where God calls that man. That's an earnest prayer. Or when someone just, eh, they prayed. The earnest prayer, right? Those are the prayers that avail much. Now let's look at this in 1 Kings 17. I just want to show you this story. I'm going to take you to Revelation and close. Look at this in 1 Kings 17. First Kings 17. Verse King 17, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, who was the king, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now hold on. Elijah is the prophet of the hour. He comes and stands before the king Ahab, who is married to who? Jezebel, the most wicked woman in the entire Bible. All right. The king of Israel has grouped himself. I'm sorry. He has united himself to Jezebel, the most wicked woman in the Bible. And Elijah comes before him and says this. One more time in verse, where was it? Verse 2. I'm sorry, verse 3. No, 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 where are we at? Verse 1. As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now let me ask you, at what point does it say, thus says the Lord? Does anyone's Bible say, thus says the Lord? Does anyone's Bible say, the Lord has told me, there shall not be rain or dew? What does it say? As surely as the Lord God lives... There shall not be. Now, last week and this week, what were we talking about? Declaring. Declaring. Stop asking God. Start declaring. If the truth was known, most of us, when someone says, can you pray for me? We pray ourselves out of the faith we need to see the miracle. We start praying, oh God. And then we start talking to the Lord. And the whole time the Lord is going, stop talking to me and declare. Why are you talking to me? I gave you all authority and power under heaven. All right. 
So again, you don't see thus says the Lord. What do you see? You see a declaration. Are you with me? He literally came to the king and declared, there will be no rain nor dew until I say so. Not until God says so, until I say so. Are you with me? Now, why was it easy for him to declare something? Let's fast forward. Look at chapter 18. Look at chapter 18. Pick up at verse 42. Now, in James, it says he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. But we don't see a prayer. What do we see? A declaration. Earnest prayer, he declared. But look at this in 1842. Elijah says there'll be no rain. God provides water for him in a few. After three and a half years, Elijah shows up on Mount Carmel. They have a contest. Whoever's God is the real God. Fire will fall down from heaven, right? Elijah wins. God sends fire down from heaven. The prophets of Baal are all slaughtered. After they're killed, now he has to keep up his end of the bargain. God says, Elijah, I want you to call the rain to come back. In a sense, God says, go back because I need you to tell the rain to come. You declared something that it wouldn't rain until you said so. Now I need you to go back and call the rain to come. God was so impressed that he declared. Now watch this. Earnest prayer, he declared something. Let's look at the regular prayer. Are you ready? (laughs) Watch this. So it says, verse 41, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Now watch this. See the picture. He put, he got on the ground, and he put his face between his knees. Like a woman who's giving birth. All right. Watch this. And said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass, verse 44. Then it came to pass on the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Now you can read the rest for yourself. Let me say this. What's the difference between a regular prayer and an earnest prayer that never fails? Are you ready? Watch this. When Elijah declared, God called that an earnest prayer. When Elijah had to get on the ground and pray and pray and pray and ask God seven times for the same thing, God says, that's just regular prayer. Are you with me? That's just regular prayer. Both are good, but let me say this. What's better? If you have to ask me seven times for something, did you really get it? Did you believe you got it? If that's not enough, there's another story. I'm not going to make you turn there. Same man, same man. When Elijah declared, it won't rain. He's on the run. The Bible says he goes to the brook, uh, the brook Cherith, which comes off from the Jordan River. And God supplies for him there. Then he goes to a widow when the brook dries up. And while he's staying with the widow, all of a sudden, one day the widow comes to him and says, my son just died. Did you come to remind me of my sin? He says, bring the boy to me. So he takes the boy, he lays him on a bed, and he lays on top of him, and he prays three times. God, please, God, please bring life back to the boy. Three times he has to pray. God, bring life back. God, bring, and finally, on the third time, the boy comes back to life. Now, what do you see? Let me explain. All right? He had more faith that God would judge, so he didn't have to pray about that. Because he knew that God would judge, it was easier to declare judgment on Israel. But because he did not believe that it was God's heart to provide rain for his people, he had to really pray and pray and pray. And he had to almost convince himself that God wanted him to do it. Isn't that scary? Now listen, on this side of the cross, knowing what God paid 
for us to be whole, what God paid for us to be wealthy, what God paid, knowing what God paid, it should be easier for us to declare God's heart instead of asking him, does he want us to have it? Are you with me? That's why I say, look, when you declare something, when you declare what came through the cross, you are impressing God. And everyone said, let me close with this. Are you ready for the end? Look at Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. When I saw this, I got so excited, man. Oh, it was like 11.40 at night. And I was ready to run laps around my house. Oh, man, I was excited. Are you ready? Watch this. Revelation chapter 8. Last week, I shared this with you. I won't go into full detail for the sake of time. But last week I told you when you declare something, it's like holding up the censer. Remember? Remember that story? It's like holding up the censer. You put the incense inside and your prayer is not incense. Your prayer is mixed with the incense. So every time you declare something that came through the cross, God sees you as holding up a censer in the dark. When when everything looks like it's falling apart, when you declare in the name of Jesus, this will happen. In the name of Jesus, this is what will happen for me. It's like you're holding up a censer and all the symptoms of the plague stop right there. Are you with me? Now, last week I showed you Revelation chapter 8 verse 3. But let me show you this. Pick up at verse 1. Let's read down to verse 4. Watch this. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half, I'm sorry, for about half an hour, which is about 30 minutes. Now keep in mind, John is in, uh, John is in the spirit and John sees the seven angels doing seven different things. On the seventh angel, we pick up in chapter eight, the seventh angel in the book of Revelation opens the seal. Now watch this. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. That's what we saw last week. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Now watch this. Oh man. Oh, in fact, let's, let's read five and six and I'll show you this. It says, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. Now watch this. He offers up the prayers with the incense and then all of a sudden he takes the incense and he throws it to the earth. Now what happens when he throws it to the earth? And when he threw it to the earth and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now it looks like something terrifying is about to happen. But when you read the book of Revelation and you are afraid, you have misinterpreted. For the believer, there's nothing to be afraid of. Everything to be excited about. Are you ready? Because it's not a revelation of the dragon. It's not a revelation of the, of Satan. It's a revelation of who? Jesus Christ. Now watch this. He looks up and he says, the angel took all the prayers that were coming up and he took incense from the altar and he put it in a censer and he took fire from the altar and he put the prayers with it and he offered it up and all of a sudden the prayers went up before God. Every declaration you make every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday over yourself, over your family, I'm telling you, the Lord says, hey, the angels are putting my incense, my perfume, and they're putting it with your prayers and they go up before God and God has it. Don't forget, in Luke chapter 1, Elijah steps into the presence of God before the altar of incense. And as he's offering up prayers, atonement for the rest of the people, all of a sudden the angel Gabriel shows up beside him. And if you remember that sermon from last Christmas, he says this, what you have prayed before God is still in front of him 
And God has not forgotten. Every declaration you've made has not fallen to the ground. It's gone up before God as an incense. And God loves to smell it. He loves the smell. Because in the book of, uh, what was it? I think it's Leviticus we saw. In Exodus we saw. He says it's a sweet smell to the Lord. And God says it's so sweet to me, I don't want anyone else to have it. So no one else can make it. (laughs) Now watch this. It all goes up before the Lord. But then the angel takes some incense and he throws it to the ground. And there's thunder, lightning, earthquakes. One more time. Thunder, lightning, earthquakes. Are you ready? Now watch this. At Mount Sinai, when God descended on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 19, Moses said, look, God is here. And all the people trembled. They heard thunder, they heard lightning, and the ground shook. Are you with me? But what was really happening? God was actually speaking. Moses heard God's voice. The people heard thunder, lightning, earthquake. Are you with me? So when he throws the incense down, there's thunder, lightning, earthquake. What's happening? God is now speaking. Mm. Are you ready? Oh, watch this. And we'll close. Watch this. Revelation chapter 10. Watch this. You want to know what happened when that angel opened his seal? You want to know what happened? Watch this. Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. He says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Now watch this. All the seven, if you read from where we left off, angel number one steps up, this happens. Number two, this happens. Number three, this happens. They all start breaking the seals. They start sounding trumpets. And all of a sudden, people start dying. The world is going into utter chaos. Then you come to angel number seven, where when the declaration was made, it went up and God spoke to the earth. Angel number seven, are you ready? Verse one in chapter 10, he says, I saw, I saw still another mighty angel. This is number seven coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. Whenever you see cloud in the Greek, it always means a group of people. Now watch this. He sees a many membered giant coming down from heaven. Who is that? That's the church. (laughs) He sees the church coming down from heaven and watch this. He's clothed with a cloud. He means this. All of us are part of that group and a rainbow was on his head. What does the rainbow say? No more flood, no more judgment. God isn't judging us anymore. The mentality of the church is God is not judging us anymore. No matter how bad you've been, no matter how bad it's gotten for you, no matter what you've had to go through, just come. Because God isn't judging you. He's not judging me. He's not judging any of us in Christ anymore. There is no more judgment. So this giant comes down and there's a rainbow on his head. Mm. Then he says what? And the rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun. Why? Because we are reflecting the glory of the Lord on us. (laughs) <laughs> and his feet like pillars of fire. Verse 2, he had a little book. Say little book. You know the Jews call our New Testament a little book? There's 39 chapters in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. They call our Bible, our New Testament, they call it a little book. Do you see the picture? This giant comes down from heaven, and in his hands, what's he holding? The New Testament, the New Covenant. <laughs> Watch this. I love this. And then watch this. Uh, verse two, one more time. A little book in his hand, open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea. Why, why is it that his open is so important? Because any book that is closed or sealed means there's an inheritance that cannot be issued. But the fact he comes down with a new covenant in his hand and is open means the inheritance is yours. Mm. Then in verse two, one more time, he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on land. Foot on sea, foot on land. What does it mean? He has dominion over the earth, dominion over the sea. Adam lost authority in the garden. And we were all subjected to that. Now it's been given back to us. Now through the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of you and your sin, not the unveiling of how bad you are and what you should and should not do, but the unveiling of how good Jesus is. Now you have authority over land and over sea. 
<laughs> and then we come to verse 3. And cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. We're going to take this piece by piece. Who is the lion of the tribe of Judah? When Jesus speaks to the enemy, it sounds like a lion. When he speaks to you, it sounds like the lamb. John said in Revelation chapter 4, he said, I heard the lion was behind me. I turned to see the lion and said, I saw a lamb. To our enemies, he's as fierce as a lion. To all of us, he's as soft as a lamb. Now, when we speak, it's as if the lion is speaking himself. What are the thunders and roaring? What is the lightning and earthquakes that he saw in chapter 8? It's the church now that we are speaking on the earth. One of my favorite movies comes... uh, my favorite scenes from the uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series, the Chronicles of Narnia. There's a scene where they show Oslin, who is the lion, and he's creating the world. He's creating a new world. And as he begins to create a new world, you know how he does it? The lion comes, and he starts to roar really softly. And as he roars, grass starts popping up. Trees start appearing. The sky starts to appear. As he roars, he starts to create. Likewise, as we declare, we are creating everything on this earth. What is the world waiting for? All creation is groaning in pain, waiting for the unveiling of who? The sons of God to be made manifest. How do you manifest yourself as a son? You stop working in the field, you start speaking in the house. The more you speak, you are manifesting who you are. The earth is trembling and shaking because of you. (laughs) Where we stop? Verse 3. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven. This is beautiful. Watch this. He raises his hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. One more verse and we'll close. Watch this. The angel, the church, that picture, he raises his hand to heaven and he swears by God himself meaning what whatever I say God will back me up whatever I say God will back me up translation I don't have to ask God anymore is it God's will for him to heal you yes then I don't have to ask God to do it I don't have to pray oh I have to go home and pray I'll pray about you this next week I don't have to ask anymore I can declare a thing and it will be done we don't have to pray about it anymore and I say that carefully we pray we pray we don't have to ask for these things anymore Like this giant, we raise our hand to heaven and say, by him who made heaven and earth, I declare in the name of Jesus, you are whole. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.